be seated. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I'd like to continue the reading that Rick started that ended in verse 12, pick up in verse 13. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us his, of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever, would, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe before these words and are just transfixed in our mind by the, the, the profoundness of the impact that they make upon us. In just reading them again, Father, we, and hearing them, we are convicted of how far there is for us to go in this life in epitomizing the words that John has written to us. But we endeavor, Father, for the rest of our lives to live out their implications, to, to live out the, the depth of meaning that is found in them. In the way that You have loved us, Father, we will love You and love others. And we will seek, Father, in all the days that we live for You to be seen in us, not through Your Spirit alone, but in the ways that fear has been driven out of us and by the ways that love has become mature. So bless us tonight, Father, as we study. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We haven't been in First John for a while, so we need to review some of the things that John has already taught us about the assurance that we have in that we are God's children. And knowing that we are genuine Christians and, you know, as a side, uh, kind of a byproduct or a side uh, uh, piece in this, and as an aside, John has also helped us to see the difference between what is real Christianity, genuine Christianity, and what is bogus Christianity. And those tests look like this. You'll remember them. The first is, have you had an experience with the gospel of Jesus who came in the flesh? In other words, what do you say about Jesus? Have you had an experience with Jesus of Nazareth in which He has become the atonement for your sins? And then number two, do you obey the commands? The things that God has given us to do explicitly, literally, in the commands that He has given us to obey, are we obeying them? And then number three, do you love the brethren? Now, as we've gone through this letter, one of the things that we have seen is that John is not very linear in his thinking. He doesn't start at A and then go to B and then go to C and then go to D and end up at Z. What John does is give us a global view of these tests. 
It's, it's a, a spiraling in and spiraling out. It's touching, uh, sort of skimming across the top of them in the beginning and then dropping deeper and deeper and deeper into his teaching as he spirals into them and he hits them as he goes throughout this epistle. Now, as we have studied 1 John, one thing should be absolutely clear about what it means to be a son of God or a daughter of God, to be God's child, and that is it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not really all that complex to live your life as a, a disciple of Jesus. And the proof of that is in the way that John has, has talked about this aspect of loving the brethren. When I was reading, and Rick was reading, the, basically the entire chapter, the fourth chapter of 1 John, beginning in verse 7 and going to verse 21, did you hear the number of times that the word love was included or a part of that reading? 27 times in 15 verses, that is from verses 7 through 21, 15 verses there, 27 times the word love appears. And then three times the word love, the words love one another appears in verse 7, verse 11, and verse 12. It's not all that complicated. The question is, why is John so passionate and so enthralled with this this experience with the love of God and loving God's children. Well, as the slide shows in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, and also in verse 8, it's because God Himself is love. Now tonight, because we're going to be going through all kinds of Scriptures, probably more Scriptures than we have in a sermon in a long time, I'm going to make allusions to them. I'm going to reference them. The slide is going to be up on the, on the screen, but I'm not going to be reading it verbatim. But why is John so passionate about this subject of loving the brothers? It's because God Himself is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Now here's the thing to think about uh, this, this idea of love. Before there was a creation, before there were angels, before there was anything that we know that was created, even before there was sin, God was love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, one of the things that we read is that all of God's activity is a loving activity. It is because of this love that He doesn't kick us to the curb. In fact, there is no other religion in the world that talks about God this way. They start with the human, the human side of things. If you do well enough, if you do perfectly enough, if you achieve enough, if you do enough, then you will be loved enough. But as we see in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, Christianity starts with the love of God. It is God who has made the first move. And this is not a theoretical move in love, but it's one that has been demonstrated in deed and in action as we see in verse 9. This is a thought that's also seen in the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, he says, Listen, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is in His very nature of love that would compel Him to make this very action a reality in the world. And then as we see in verse 11 of 1 John chapter 4, because this is true, we ought to imitate that love. Because God Himself is love, we become lovers of people and lovers of God. Look how John says it in verses 7 and 8. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For this kind of love, this love comes from God. And everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
But verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If God is love and you say that you know that God who is love and you have been transformed by the actions of that love, then the, the end result, the byproduct, the fruit of that kind of life is that you're going to love as well. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, or, or excuse me, I, I've, I've just read that. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, this is one of the things that you do in order to be born again, or uh, that happens when you are born again. When you are born again, you love. You don't love in order to be born again. It is the product of this new birth. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, this is part of the evidence that God has given us His Spirit. That is, we have been transfixed by that conversion and transformed by the work of the Spirit in us because our sins have been forgiven and God has poured His Spirit into our life that we begin to love others. The language of God is the language of love. The language of God is the language of love. God is, that love that God has put inside of us, it is made complete, verse 12. It is, it is perfected in us because we are God's. And this means that God has made us into something. That God has done something to us. Now it's time to let, that, let it out. So, number one, we are objects of His love. One of the things that, that John is telling us is that we are the objects of His love, that God loves His people, and that love does something in us. And what that in us is, is that as that love is perfected in us, the fear is rejected. Look up on the screen at verses 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear, verse 18, in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, when you have this kind of love in your life, when this is being generated by God's Spirit in your life, there is no fear. There is no fear in this love. If your life is full of fear, it means that the love of God is not matured in you yet. And fear is the fruit of a root in your life that has not been planted in the love of God. At some point, everyone has to answer this question. What does it take to convince you that God loves you? Loves you, and you're convinced of that to the point that the fear is driven out of you. All you have to do to answer that question is to go to the cross of Jesus. It is the cross that communicates God's tenacious love in going the distance to make sure that you are His and He is yours. And the byproduct is that your anxiety is going to go down as this kind of love percolates down into your heart and it becomes a reality in the way that you respond and react to everything around you and to everyone around you. It's, it's so transforming to know that there is a point that has come in your life where you, you don't fear judgment because not only has God become so real, but the anxiety of that relationship that has, been, that has been forged out of that love has become so real that you don't fear that judgment and the anxiety goes down. And because that love has matured in you, you know that you're never separated from Him. You know that there's nothing that can destroy that relationship. And so regardless of what it is that you're facing on a day-to-day -day basis, 
you can face it with confidence. And you can face it without that fear that somehow it's going to drop you to your knees. That somehow it's going to destroy you. That it's going to cover you in the dust. Because it is God that has, has made that claim on your life. And when you see that kind of love developing in you, that the love for other people is a product of the fact that you are loved by God and that God who is love is making it so, then your life is changed because you realize that you are the object. You are a receptacle. You are a receiver of that kind of love. You're catching it every day in your life. And it moves you and it transforms you. And when that becomes true, there's something kind of special that takes place in, in your, your testimony or your witness or your ability to talk about the precious nature of your faith. And that's when we become agents of His love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, John writes, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen it, he says. And not only have we seen it, but because we have experienced it, we testify that God Himself has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you, do you know what... You know, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening when somebody rejects Christ. When somebody rejects Christ, what it means is that there is a philosophy or a teaching or an understanding of how life is to be lived that is rejected. There is a, uh, there's some practical insights into living life in a safe way that are rejected. But ultimately, when you choose to reject Christ, you choose to ignore God's love. In Christ, God chooses to show us how much He loves us. That's the tenacious part of that. That it wasn't just loving in theory or loving in, in some kind of a, of a, of a spontaneous declaration, a mag, even a magnificent declaration. But it was tenacious in the sense that it was tangible and costly. And when we look at the cross, we see just how tenacious that love is. And that's when Christ becomes this incredibly precious treasure to us that revolutionizes us, that, that, that changes the way that we think about other people, and especially in light of the way that those relationships can be disrupted because we live in a fallen world and we struggle with a fallen nature. We struggle with sin even in this life after we've been converted. But because of that, that, that cross, the perspective and the power to live differently is there. And we can forgive. And we can be generous. And we can be self-controlled even in difficult moments. And we can, we can be gracious and we can be gentle and we can be kind even in the midst of conversations or actions that are anything but those things. We see Him as our precious treasure because He is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. And coming in the flesh, He has saved us from our sins. And in saving us from our sins, that very thing that destroys us, one of the things that moves is our destructive life from self-absorption to a life of self-sacrifice. You know, what, you always look for illustrations. You always look for ways of, of illustrating these kinds of things in real life. Uh, it's a way to get, our, get our, our, our fingers deeply embedded into it and hold it and to grab it. Uh, many of you, there, there's, there's an uh, illustration out of a book called um, uh, Tuesdays with Maury that was written several years ago, a, a decade or so ago, by a sports writer by the name of Mitch Album, 
who heard that his professor in college was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, and he began to meet with him every Tuesday for a series of weeks and to write down his, his recollections and his conversations with Maury about life and about death and about what's important, what's not important, and about things that were happening in, in contemporary culture. And in the eighth week, there was a, um, a story in the paper that came up in their conversation that involved Ted Turner. Ted Turner at that time was trying to buy uh, CBS uh, News uh, the network and, uh, and, and it was a failed bid which disappointed Ted Turner you know, tremendously. And out of that, uh, that failed bid to buy CBS came that famous statement that Turner uh, uh, allegedly said about you know, he didn't want to be that guy who on his headstone or his tombstone said he never owned a network. And so it kind of came up in this conversation between this young man and an older man, the older man dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, they were talking about what's important, what's not important. And uh, Album writes, he paused and then looked at me and said, I'm dying, right? Yes, Album says. Why do you think it's important, it's so important for me to hear other people's problems? Don't I have enough pain and suffering of my own? Of course I do. But giving to other people is what makes me feel alive. Not my car or my house. Not what I can look like in the mirror. When I give my time, when I can make someone smile after they were feeling sad, it's as close to healthy as I ever feel. End of quote. Not absorbed, but self-sacrificing. Time and effort, and wisdom, and patience, and, and all of these things with other people. He says, it's as close to feeling healthy as I can. Now, who does that sound like? Who is it that said, if you want to really save your life, then you've got to let go of it, and you have to lose it? Who is it that said, if you really want to be great, if you want to have a great life, then become the servant of all? Who is it that said, I have come in order for you to have an abundant kind of life? It's the Christ. And this is why John is so adamant on the subject of love. It's the way to live your life. He says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 that you can't love God and hate His children. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, mean, I can't imagine a scenario like this. But could you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, I really like spending time with you, but I can't stand being around your children. I mean, if you think it, you're not going to say it, right? But how could, if you are a father of children that you love, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really love you, but I can't stand your kids, how are you going to respond to that? Is that a happy response? Is that, is that a positive response that you're going to have to that? If you say, you know, what John says, and he's kind of blunt here, he says, you know what, if you say that you love God, but you don't love His children, you hate His children, you know what you are? A liar. Now, I was told when I was growing up that you never call somebody a liar unless it is blunt and to the point and it is in a situation that is called for. And I think that's what's happening here with John. You know, John is reveling in the fact that, that God has done all of these tremendous things in Jesus of Nazareth. The Son of God became a son in the flesh. 
And not just a son in the flesh who lived his life, but lived his life as a servant, Paul would say in Philippians 2. And not just as a servant, but a servant who was willing to die for the sins of the world, to go not just to death, but to death on a cross, which was the most cursed way to die in the ancient world. Because that God loved His children. And He's reveling in all of that. And, he, and he's writing to people in a church that are struggling with what it means to, to love in the church each other. And he says, you know, you can't have it both ways. You either have the full impact of the cross and the gospel in your life, and it works its way, it percolates its way all the way down into your soul, and it changes the way that you respond to everybody, or you're a liar. When you say, I love God, but I can't get along with any of his children, you're a liar. To John, he is being blunt and he is being, he is being to the point. And, and for us, I mean, for us to be able to say, you know, I love going to the MacArthur Park Church of Christ. I love, you know, I, I love the preaching. I love the singing. I love the classes. But there are some people there that I just can't stand. Not only is that, not only does that not make sense, but it is biblically wrong and sinful. And according to John, if that is true, you have to ask yourself whether or not the gospel has really made an impact in your life. Because as he will say over in the third chapter, in verse 16 and verse 17, he'll say in verse 16, you know, there's no greater love than for somebody to lay their life down for somebody. And that makes sense, right? We think about Christ, we think about the example, he laid his life down, that's one of the things that we should do as, as well. And quite frankly, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you know, it's one of the most courageous things that somebody could do is to lay his life down for other people. When I lived in Brazil, I had friendships with people that I can guarantee you as long as I take breath, they would have taken a bullet for me, they would have died for me. There was that kind of love. But you know what? They never had to do it. That's why verse 17 in the third chapter is there. Because it's not just living in these big ways, that love in the big ways where we lay our lives down for everybody. I mean, anybody can do that, right? We can at least say it. But you know, one of the most tangible ways is when you love somebody in the small ways every day. And John is saying it's not just these big ways that, that, that love is perceived as something heroic and courageous when you lay your life down for somebody else, but when you see somebody, your brother, in need, and you have stuff and he doesn't, and he is in need of the stuff that you have in abundance, and you have all of these material things, and you withhold it from him, how can you say that the love of God is in you? The way that you love is not just in these big, flamboyant, heroic courageous way, but even in the nitty-gritty, dusty, mundane, vanilla-flavored, garden-variety ways every day in making sure that your brother's and sister's needs are taken care of. And to say that you are a believer and not taking care of legitimate needs is tantamount to being a liar, according to John. He's just that blunt. You know, people ask all the time, does God exist? How can I know that God exists? And the answer to that question is yes. And the answer is He can be seen. I mean, Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, you know, when you look at nature, there's a couple of things. Eternal power and a, a divine nature that is revealed in creation. That you can't just look at creation and say, you know what, this was just the product of a couple of things banging together in the universe through space and time, and it all ended up like this. DNA and everything. 
He says, when you do that, you're exchanging the truth for a lie. But that's not the only way that God is seen. He is seen in His people. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12, he's going to say this, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We say all the time that God is love. We say all the time that God takes care of His people. We say all the time that that God is a forgiving God, that that God is a patient God, that God is a a self-controlled, kind and gentle and faithful God. But nobody has ever seen God in the flesh, that is, until the time of Jesus. But in these days, the Word still becomes flesh in the sense that that love, that that Spirit of God that He has poured into our heart, Romans chapter 5, that, 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 that transformation, that revolutionizing of our lives in which we move from bitter and malice-driven, people with malintent, wicked and sinful and biting one another, as, he, as Paul will write in other places, when we are revolutionized from that kind of a lifestyle to a lifestyle in which the love of God is made manifest in us and people are able to see it in tangible ways, in the way that we forgive one another when we get bent out of shape with each other, in the way that we take care of each other through generosity and through self-sacrifice and through, and through uh, the loss of our own material goods to make sure that somebody is taken care of, in the way that we rally around each other during those dark moments where our souls are tormented because of something that's happening that's filling us with grief, or that darkness of uncertainty in the future where we stand and we pray with each other and we go through it together, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, facing the future, because God is great. Then the world is able to see in, 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 in a small degree that there really is a God because of the difference that He makes in people's lives. And it's not just in being able to overcome our own personal individual experiences of sin, the things that we struggle with, whether it might be some kind of a, a sexual addiction or a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or, or a, an addiction to lying or an addiction to stuff. But in the way that we take care of one another and relate to one another and love one another. And that love is being made complete in us. And people see that it doesn't really matter what's happening to us on a historical basis because we know what's happening to us on an eternal, ultimate basis. And we live our life in the light of that love that never fails, that forms as a hope, the anchor of our soul, that regardless of whatever happens to us, we are steadfast and firm and confident and assured. We are one of the answers to the question, where is God? God is seen through His redeemed people. In verse uh, 13 of 1 John chapter 4, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. God can be seen in us. You know, I, I think every day, I can't remember a day, and I'm, I suppose there are some, that I've not prayed for the world to be a better place, for our church family to be stronger, for, for the, the community of San Antonio, my, my own neighborhood, to be a better place. My own, my, own, my own nation to be a better place. 
And I think that that prayer is absolutely legit. It, it is a prayer that should be prayed by all Christians every day. But you know what? It's not, we're not just called to pray for the world to be a better place. We are called to live in such a way that we make the world a better place. And you know what our lives are? Our lives are these loudspeakers. Our, our lives are these loudspeakers through which the love of God is heard. Our lives are these, these magnifying glasses in which the love of God is seen in gigantic proportion. We love each other because God is love. And we love in the big ways and we love in the small ways. And we love every day. And to not love is, is, is to be a liar when it comes to our faith and our allegiances and the direction of our life and the, and the commitment to discipleship. We love because God is love. And because God has poured His Spirit into our We love because God is love. And that is the kind of community of faith, the kind of church, the body of Christ that we are. In this, not only with each other, but in this community. We're going to invite a couple of our shepherds up here to the front, and Jeff is going to lead us in a song. And this is an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God. If you have never responded to the Word of God in such a way that you have become a recipient of that love, and as a recipient of that love, experience the forgiveness, Experience the transformation that takes place when you receive at your baptism, in your repentance, the gift of the Holy Spirit according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. If you have never, ever experienced the love of God that way, then you have a treat in store for you tonight if you're willing. And that is to confess that Jesus is Lord, to repent of the life that you've lived, and to be baptized and to have your sins washed away, for that Spirit to be poured inside of you, and for there to be the experience of the love of God each and every day of your life. Or it may be that you're struggling in some other way, and the prayers of the congregation is what needed. Whatever it might be, as we're singing this song and standing together, come down to the front and talk to our shepherds. Let's stand and sing together.